Um, I just want to say before I even, uh, Psalm 9 is where we're going to be this morning. And um, sometimes God does things that you can't plan out, like not sometimes, but he does this all the time, but, but sometimes it's very vivid and very specific. And even, even as uh, Chris and Sarah were talking this morning, uh, in the back of my mind is like I, the, the scripture passage that we're going to be speaking on today. Uh, and so sometimes God just ties things together that you can't plan that you have no idea, whether it's a song or a, uh, you know, a sermon at the right moment. And, uh, but this text um, is an incredible text that really affirms their testimony. And in fact, even says that one of the most powerful things, one of the things that's so powerful to us as the people of God is to hear stories of God's faithfulness, right? To tell of his wonderful deeds, which is what our text says today that we are supposed to testify constantly to the goodness and to the grace of God, that when he shows up in moments in our lives, that we need to tell that story to encourage one another, to build one another up, that God is at work uh, every day in the lives of his people and in our communities and in this world. And so today we're going to be looking at that in in maybe a strange way. uh, The psalmist is taking incredible comfort in the midst of a very tumultuous world, in the midst of enemies and nations and things that are piling down on him, uh, David is taking incredible encouragement and comfort in the fact that there is a God who is righteous and just and true and faithful, that he's a defender uh, of his people, uh, that he watches over us in every way. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's stand this morning as we read God's word, uh, Psalm chapter 9. We stand because uh, it's God's word, not our word, just a way of us honoring the fact that this is his authoritative word. Psalm 9, verse 1. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will praise your name, O Most High. For when my enemies turn back, they stumble and they perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause, and you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins, and their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness, and he judges the peoples with uprightness. For the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death that I may recount all your praises, that, I, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. For the nations have sunk in the pit that they have made, in the net that they have hid, their own foot has been caught. But the Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know 
that they are but men. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these powerful words of the psalmist today. Would you encourage and strengthen your church today with these words? Would we be drawn into your presence to know, God, that you are the righteous and faithful and just judge, and that we can take comfort in this, just as the psalmist has taken comfort in the fact that you have delivered him again and again and again from affliction. And so, Lord, bless your people. Cause these words to be an encouragement and a strength to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Ever, ever been misrepresented, gossiped about, ever had someone accuse you of something that's totally not true, and you're the only one that knows it? <laughs> uh, all of us at some, in some way, shape, or form have faced injustice, right? We've all had things happen to us or around us that we can look at and see that this is, this is just not right. Uh, it's not fair. It's, it's not Okay whether it's tragedy that hits our lives or whether it's something that people do to us that is wrong, somebody's misrepresenting the words that you said or misunderstanding your actions. Sometimes this all happens in your own home this last week. If you're married, right? No, nothing, okay. All right, so <laughs> your marriages are wonderful. That's great, I love it. <laughs> we, we live in a world that is messed up, Right? We know that this is a world that is riddled and racked with sin. Every piece of this world and every part of us is undone by the sin that is present in this world and in us. And our only hope is God. And we, we can see it all over the place. There's, you don't have to look very far, but let me just read a couple things just to sort of set our mind here in a little bit of the mindset that maybe David had as he was thinking about this, this idea of praising God for his goodness in judgment. Um, think about the reality. I was actually listening yesterday. Somebody said that the, um, the director of the opening ceremony of the Olympics was fired right before the opening ceremony. Did you know that? You didn't know that, right? Didn't make the news. Um, he was fired because 20-some years or two decades or so prior, he had said something uh, that was inappropriate today. Um, the, the person who put together the music for the Olympics was also fired because when she was in grade school, when she was in grade school, she had, had bullied someone uh, and had made a comment about this years later, reflecting back. Um, we live in a world in which people are being demonized for their faults, for the reality, right? This is, this is reality. Like this, this sound crazy to you? Like that doesn't seem just, does it? If any one of us were judged by such standards, we would be toast, right? None of us are worthy of, of, any, of any of this, right? We're all in trouble. Um, we live in a world in which uh, there's incredible violence and incredible uh, chaos going on. I was just reading this morning, like 264 police have been killed in 2000. Uh, 264 police officers were killed in the line of duty in 2020, a 96% increase over, 20, over uh, 2019. Uh, incredible things happening in this world, uh, incredible injustices. A woman, uh, I, I was reading about a woman in India who watches her sister get dragged off by a Hindu nationalist, and she never has seen her since. 
A man in a North Korean prison camp is shaken awake after being beaten unconscious in order to be beaten again. There's a woman in Nigeria. She runs for her life. She's escaped Boko Haram who kidnapped her and she is pregnant with this child and when she returns home to her community, she will be rejected, her and her baby, and will not be accepted. I was reading as well this week. Over 340 million Christians live in places where they have a high degree of expectation that they could be killed for their faith. This year alone, and we're not even halfway through, there's 4,761 Christians who've been killed for their faith just for believing in the name of Jesus. 4,488 churches have been burnt to the ground. 4,277 believers have been detained, arrested, or sentenced to death and are waiting their execution currently. That's just in 2021. Um, So the idea of injustice, this idea that things are not right, and you feel that inside of you, it's a reality, isn't it? And there's something in us that hates injustice. In fact, the whole world hates injustice. You don't have to be a Christian No one likes injustice. All of us are are frustrated and angry about injustice. All of us want things to be right. And when we think about all the craziness and all the things that are going on in this world, we can oftentimes start to wonder, like, what is going on? God, where are you? What are you doing? Right? Why are these things happening to us? Why is these things happening to me? And then you hear a story like Chris and Sarah this morning and you see the incredible faithfulness of God that even in the face of something that makes absolutely no sense, God is at work. God is faithful. He is not absent. Even when we think nothing is happening and and craziness just seems to be running rampant or or chaos, or despair, or difficulties, or death seems to just be everywhere. It's easy to sort of wonder, what is God doing? And then you hear it testified about, this morning even, and you hear testimonies. This is what God's doing. He's He's not asleep. He's not slumbering. God is at work, and this is what David has experienced in the midst of incredible, tumultuous times. He has experienced in the midst of chaos in the midst of, of people seeking to take his life, seeking to discredit his, his, uh, t- his uh, 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 character, people seeking to overthrow his throne, take away his leadership, discredit everything that he's about. He, he has faced all of these things, and in the midst of this, David has seen God work powerfully. David has seen God step in, God comfort him, God watch over him, and God give him victory over the very things that are seeking to to take his life. And so his response is to write Psalm 9, (laughs) a worship song. In one sense, his response is to write a song that he can sing back to God, affirming the faithfulness of God in the midst of everything that he's facing. Isn't this what we do when we sing songs to God? No matter, what, no matter where you're sitting here this morning, no matter what chaos happened in order just even to get to church this morning or to go through your week, we all come here together, all of us, and we sing songs, we pray prayers, we're, we're affirming back to God, God, you are faithful, you are God. We sang it a moment ago, you are on your throne in the good times and the bad. You are God alone. 
There is no one like you. You are at work. Even if I can't make sense of it, you're at work. God is faithful. And that's what Psalm 9 is all about. We find in Psalm 9, David is affirming uh, the fact that God is just. That he is a just God. That he rules in righteousness. That his judgments are just. In fact, it's a, what David is doing, he's finding comfort in something that I doubt most of us think about on a regular basis. He's actually finding comfort in the fact that God is a just judge. He's finding comfort and hope in God's judgments. Right? Why does that seem okay? Now, now you, might, you might, in an unhealthy way, we could be like, darn right. Yeah. Get those bad people, God. You know, like we could maybe have a little bit too much excitement about such things. But he's, he's you know the verse in Scripture where it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. God is the one who is the righteous judge. And David is going, God, you got things under control. You are the one who sees things correctly. And you are the one who is executing judgment at just the right time in the right way. You are faithful. You are righteous. You are good. I can just trust you. I can sleep well tonight, no matter how much chaos is going on around me. And so this is a psalm that David is literally singing and finding comfort in that reality of who God is. In fact, uh, it's a song of thanksgiving for God's vindication of his life. <laughs> vindication is actually an interesting word. You ever, you ever wanted to be vindicated? <laughs> Every one of us do. Your kids always do, right? They're like, you, you know, you, as a kid, you, you get in trouble, Right? And yet your sister's the one who started the whole deal. And yet you're the one that gets in trouble and you're like, what, what, what are we mad about, right? We're like, vindicate me. Like, like, you know, like, make this right. You know, we're mad about this, right? We, we all want vindication. David, David is finding his vindication in one place, his justification in one place. It's, it's in God alone. And in fact, the, there's a funny thing. This, this psalm is actually said to be written, if you look at the, the little, uh, according to the Muth Laban, uh, it, it's actually... Uh, it's supposed, they think anyway that that means it was written to the tune of uh, what, what was a little tune back in those days called the death of the sun. Now, I don't know. They don't know what that even means. Uh, but it's a, but it's a, a, a tune. So it's almost like, uh, you know, back in the day when Luther wrote uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he, the music he set it to was a bar tune, you know. So, so I don't know if it's something like that. I don't know. But, but somehow, the, the, it, I, I just think it's funny that it actually says a comment like that in here. Like it was written to the tune of such a, we don't know what that actually means, but, but it's pretty interesting. But David, David is uh, just pouring his heart out in thanks to God. And then he's going to, so two things we're going to look at. He, first of all, just pours his heart out in praise to God for his goodness and his faithfulness and his righteousness. That God is a defender, he's a deliverer, and he's a shelter in our times of trouble. And then secondly, he's going to pray in verse 13 and to the end. He's going to actually turn to prayer. And he's going to pray a prayer where he's going to pray for God. This is what's interesting. He's going to pray for God to further deliver him in the future so he would have more reasons to praise God. <laughs> Isn't that great? Like, does your prayers ever sound like that? <laughs> Yeah, anyway, we'll get, when we get there, we'll talk a little bit about that. So, first of all, he begins by praising God. In the midst of a tumultuous world, he's praising God. He says, he says I will give thanks. Now, notice, it sounds like he's just sort of white. You could take this as a white-knuckling it. Like, I'm going to praise God. No matter what's going on, I'm just going to do it, right? But I don't get the sense and that's why he's writing it. He's writing it out of real experiences of pain and difficulty. And he's seen God's goodness in the midst of difficulties. And he's, he's literally, with, without much effort, in some way, just going, God, I will. You know, I will give God 
praise. I, I, will, I will praise him. In fact, he says, I will thank the Lord with my whole heart, which is a way of, of saying in Scripture, all of my being, everything. I'm just going to praise God with everything of who I am. I'm going to throw myself at him in thanksgiving and praise. He says, and, and this is, I will recount your wonderful deeds. This is so, I've already said it, and we've even experienced it this morning in hearing the faithfulness, but I don't think we tell our stories enough. We need to tell each other the stories of what's going on in our lives. When we are walking with the Lord, He's doing things in our lives, right? You you got stuff going on in your life this last week. You may think it's simple, but it's not. You might think, ah, that's not a big deal. You know, I I, I actually (laughs) had a moment where I was driving my car, and uh, I did the unthinkable. Uh, I looked down for one moment because uh, I got a, a very important call. I looked down for one moment, and the traffic on the interstate stopped. I mean, dead stop, coming on the I-5 by Chehalis. And I look up, and probably from here to the back of that room is the car. And I'm going 70. <laughs> and like, you know, just little things like that. And I, you know, and pulled off to the side, didn't hit this person, do we stop sometimes just to go, thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me from my stupidity, right? Thank you for your grace. You know, like just, just recounting the deeds of God and how he's at work in our lives in big ways and small ways. It's not just the big things. It's every single day, the little ways that God is faithful where God reminds us that he's there, that he's present. And maybe sometimes the challenge of this is we're not paying attention, Right? We're not aware of the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I can get really distracted by stuff and just forget that the world I'm living in is God's world, that the life I'm living is a gift from him for me to live it in this world in such a way that people would know this God, right? And and I forget these things, and so therefore I'm not paying attention to all the wonderful deeds of God that he is doing. It's incredible. And so the psalmist continues in verse 2. He says, I will be glad. I will exult in you. I I will lift you up. I will be glad in this. Again, he's going through difficulties here. He says, I will praise your name, O Most High. That's an important phrase. The fact that I will praise your name. Um, we maybe do this with our heroes to some degree in, in, in the world, right? We, we have certain heroes. Uh, we plaster their names and maybe they're, uh, you know, the Michael Jordan thing, dunking it, you know, on the, on the wall. My kid has that and because and, uh, he's the best basketball player ever. But anyway, um, and, and so... And so, so you, you may have all these, these people that you, you have their name on your wall even. Not, not because you're worshiping them necessarily, hopefully not. But, uh, but, but we, we do this kind of thing in a smaller way here. And honestly, those smaller ways here are to remind us of the fact that there's someone whose name is mighty, whose name is powerful, whose name is beautiful. That when we talk about in the Bible praising the name of God, it's a way of saying that we're praising everything about who God is. It, it, the name in, names in the Bible represented something about the, the character, the person that we're referring to. So a name had deep meaning. So when we praise the name of God, it's a way of saying we're praising all of who God is and all of his glory. And so the psalmist is recounting God's deeds and then he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to praise your name, God. I'm going I'm to lift up all that you are, everything that I know to be true about you. I'm going to lift these things up, not, not just when things are good, but in my circumstances, uh, and, and I'm also going to lift you up because I know that you're at work in all of history. Secondly, he turns to, in verse 3, and he praises God, 
in a sense, verse 3 is a response. Why, why should he praise God? What are the reasons? Verses 3 through 12 actually are going to give us those. He says in verse 3, um, he, he's praising him for his judgment. He's praising God because in the, in the midst of enemies and in the midst of pressures, in the midst of those who are pouring down upon him, he's praising God that God has preserved him, that God has taken care of him, even in the midst of difficulties. He's praising God that he judges the wicked. He says, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and they perish, what, before my greatness? No, David's not saying because I'm so great and clever, I, over, I outwitted them, I outsmarted them, my strategy was better than the enemy. No, no, he says, he says I overcame them. They, they perished in your presence, God. Why? Because God is with him. It's an acknowledgement. God, you are with me, and in your presence, my enemies perish. They fall to the wayside. And then I love verse 4. For you have maintained my just cause. This is probably my favorite verse or phrase in the whole Psalm 9. There's a lot of them throughout the Psalms. I love that. For you, God, are the one who maintains my just cause. In essence, he's saying, God, you're the one who justifies me. You're my vindication. God is. What are the things that you place your, your justification on in? What, what is it that you're trusting in to be justified, right? Um, there's a lot of things that you could, you could put your hope in that are not God. You could, you could find your vindication in the fact that you got promoted above the person that, that you work beside at work. Your hope is in this external circumstance on this earth. Or you could put your vindication in the fact that, that everyone in the office finally realized that you're as amazing as you really are. Right? And then when they don't recognize that you're as amazing as you really are, you're really ticked off and you feel like you need to be vindicated, right? right? You can put your, your hope and in, in in your vindication, you can rest it on something that's completely not sustainable and will most likely let you down. David is saying, God, you're my justification. You alone. God is the one who will vindicate me in his time and in his way and it may never be even on this earth while you're alive and breathing. But one day, you will ultimately be vindicated. One day, all will work out as exactly it's supposed to. God will right wrongs. He will make everything right. He will vindicate your name and your honor. All of those things. God is the one who does this. And so, so David's simply acknowledging, God, you're the one who maintains my just cause. You're the one who does this. Not the people around me, not even my critics, not the people who are looking in at my life and saying, picking at this and nitpicking at that. No, no, God's the one, ultimately, who will see things correctly. He says, you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. See, David's saying that in the sense of taking comfort. David doesn't have to judge everything correctly, nor do you. God sees it correctly. I can trust in God's assessment of situations and things and peoples, right? God is the one who sees correctly. I don't have to, I don't have, to have all that figured out. This is so important for us because this is where, as Christians even, we can become really judgmental. Judgmental is not the same as being discerning, right? So don't, don't worry. We need to be discerning, seeing right and wrong. But we need to be careful that when we think that we see everything correctly because we don't. I was watching a little presentation uh, yesterday where they were showing pictures on a screen 
And uh, there, was, there was all these pictures, in the, and there's like about three or four people sitting in this room. They would see a picture on the screen, and they were just to say what they think it is. And so one of them was a walnut that was, had half the shell off, and it just showed the, you know, the nut inside. But it, it showed the first picture, and everyone in the room said, oh, it's a human brain. Right? And it literally, I, I, I thought the same thing. Like, because the camera lens was focused just right up close, right? And it looked just like a, a brain, like the way, the way it all looked, looked just like a human brain. And then they pan the camera back out, and you go, oh, it's a walnut, right? You see, we, we have to be careful in how much we trust our own assessment of reality, right? We have to trust in God, God's the one who pans the camera out and sees everything. We have to trust him. We have to be careful that, that we don't get so arrogant as to think that we know exactly what's up. Even in situations that may seem clear, they may not be as clear as you think they are. When you look in at someone's life and you see an action that they're taking and you think you have assessed rightly what the problem is, but if you sat down with them for 15 minutes and they share their story and they share what's actually going on, you might have a whole different opinion about what's going on. This is also why God made us to be in relationship with people. <laughs> that we would actually know and not assess from afar. Because God doesn't assess from afar, right? He came down, became one of us, became like us, became a man, entered into our world, into, into our lives that we might know him. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. And so... So the psalmist is actually, David's just actually taking comfort in the fact, God, you see clearly. You judge correctly. I can rest. I can sleep tonight. Even when injustice is going on around me, I can go to bed, lay my head on the pillow, and just trust God and just sleep like a baby because my God has it. He's in charge, and he knows what's up. He says the enemy came to an end, verse 6. Oh, wait, wait, verse 5. Uh, verse 5, he says, you have, you have rebuked the nations, you have made the wicked perish, you have blotted out their name forever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. You rooted out their cities. The very memory of them is gone. Now, this is a reference back to the Old Testament and a promise that God made to his people. When he said that for those, those who oppose you, those who, those who curse you, I will curse. And he said in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 14, that I will, I will blot out their very existence. This is a, that may seem harsh and rough, right? Um, but, but what he's saying is that those who are wicked, those who are literally living their lives opposed to God, and they are absolutely set in doing harm to God and to God's people, God says, I will deal with them. Again, David is taking comfort in this. God's going to take care of that. I'm not the one that takes care of that. I'm not the one that blots out my enemies. God will do it. He will do it in his time and in his way. I can rest easy and be confident about that. What's even more powerful is this is a preview. What this is actually doing in these verses 5 and 6, it's actually a preview of what's ultimately to come one day that we can take incredible hope in. Because in the preview, when he's talking about blotting out nations, there are literally nations in the Old Testament that don't exist anymore. Their very memory is gone because they, because they sought to oppose God and his ways Seeking to, number one, by the way, you go, well, what's so bad about that? Um, well, they sought to actually stop the coming of the Messiah. Right? The very promises of God were at stake at times in the Old Testament, ev almost every case. The promises of God are at stake where there are enemies of God who are seeking to, to take out the very line of Christ. 
the very people, the very group, the, the tribe of Judah, to take them out so that Jesus, is, Jesus would never come and the promises of God, God would be proven to be a liar. And they set themselves up against God as if somehow they were going to overthrow God's purposes and what they found is that, that they lose, right? Why do the nations rage, Psalm chapter 2? Why do, the, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain, God says, right? They plot in vain because you cannot overcome the purposes of God. David is taking comfort in that. But this is a preview in verses 5 and 6 of what ultimately at the end of time is going to happen. That the wicked and that all wickedness will be completely taken away from the earth. There will be a new heaven and a new earth in which there will be no more evil, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more death, no more enemies, no more wars, no more fighting, period. It'll all be gone entirely. So when we see these moments where one little nation on the earth is completely cut off, what what God is giving us is a preview that one day all wickedness will be completely gone. And we can take comfort that David is seeing this as a comfort in his day, but it also points to a future day as well. Verses 7 through 10 remind us of God's just rule. That God, uh, David is hoping in the just rule rule of God, that this is his world, and that he, he's completely confident, competent to rule it perfectly. And, and that as long as God is ruling, things are going to be okay. Even when it's a mess here, God is in charge. In verse 7, uh, he says, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He's established his throne for what? For justice. That is for rightness. Right? He judges the worlds with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. David's again just singing back to God. God, you, you do this perfectly. You see things perfectly. You judge perfectly. And, and, then, and then 11, verses 9 and 10, he turns then to say, and the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. I'm assuming David is putting himself in that category. Because David has tasted the goodness of God. The, the stronghold, that word stronghold, it means to be taken to a high place and to be completely sheltered from any harm. That's what it means. And so when it says that God himself is a stronghold for his people, it means that when we, when we live life with God, when we trust in him, he protects us from all bad. That doesn't mean bad things don't happen, right? We've heard that testified this morning. It means he is at work in them, and one day he will make right every single wrong. He will take care of it, right? We can have confidence in that. So he's sitting here, he's declaring that God has been a stronghold for those who are oppressed. He's a stronghold in times of trouble. Uh, there's even in the Psalms, it says that he's a, he's a stronghold that the righteous run to and find help, right? We can run to him to find help. We can run to him to find our justification, our vindication. And so he says that he's a stronghold. And then I love verse 10. He says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. You say, well, that's not really true, is it? Because I know a lot of people that know the name of God that don't want anything to do with him. (laughs) But in the Old Testament, when you say that you know something or someone, it's actually a term of intimacy. In the PG world, you see, uh, uh, you know, like whenever somebody got married in the Old Testament, they would say that so-and-so went into and they knew each other, right? To know someone is to have a deep, intimate relationship. And what David is simply affirming is those who know you, God, those who know your name, those who truly know you, who are in relationship with you, 
they put their trust in you. Bar none. You cannot know the Lord and not trust him. If you truly know him, you will put your trust in him. If you know him in that way, you will trust him. I love that. Like, you will. You will. This is what's beautiful about the miracle of, of salvation is that God opens our eyes. He, he's the one who says, I want you to know me. This is why he sent his son, right? He sent his son down here that you might know him. He came near to us. He removes the scales from our eyes that is created by sin and hardness. And, and, and he removes those. And all of a sudden we see him for all that he is worth. And we can't help ourselves but respond in faith and trust and dependence upon him. And to give our whole life to him. This is what David is affirming. Those who know you in this way, God, they trust in you. He says, for the Lord has, uh, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And then he ends this whole section out simply by saying, sing praises. He's simply calling them to praise. In light of this, he began it with praise. He ends the section by simply going, so praise God. Just praise God. It's as simple as that, right? He's like, just turn to God. Praise him for all of his wonderful deeds. Praise him for his faithfulness. Praise him for the fact that he's a deliverer, right? He's, he's, he takes care of us. He's a, he's a deliverer, a defender, a shelter, in times of trouble, and he has defended you, he has delivered you, and he is your shelter. This isn't some past thing. This happens like this is current, recent, right now as you're sitting here this morning. So, so just give him praise. Just lift up, your, lift up your voices and sing to him. Tell amongst the peoples his deeds. Let it be known, my God reigns. My God is good. My God is a deliverer. I love the uh, missionaries. Uh, there's some missionaries that were talking about the fact that uh, one of the ways that they would bear witness to God is that simply by telling how their day went, they would just simply introduce in that and say, you know, God has been really good to me. They would tell a story and they'd say, yeah, because God has just been really good to me. And they just leave it at that. And, and as they just did that over and over again, pretty soon people got curious in this, in this it was a, a Muslim culture. And all of a sudden they started asking questions like, my God's not like that. What are, you, what are you talking about? God has been good to you. What does that mean, right? Which led to one thing, which led to another thing, which led to uh, tons of people coming to know Christ. Bearing witness to who God is. Telling people of the goodness of your God just in simple ways, not offensive ways, not throwing it in people's face, but just as a natural means of like, hey, man, my day's going well because of my God. Uh, my day is really stunk, but my God's good. <laughs> He's watching over me. Um, it's incredible. So then David turns, and you're wondering if we're going to get to the last of this. We will. David turns, and he then turns to pray, prayer. So he, he praises God. He thanks him for who he is in the, midst of, in the midst of tumultuousness. And then he prays to God in the midst of a tumultuous world. Uh, and, and, and his prayer, it really is a, uh, think about your, my, I thought about this so hard this week, my own motivation for why I pray, even just the way that I pray. And yet David is actually, the, the tone of what he's praying is he's really praying that God would keep delivering him, which means you've got to keep being in problems, right? That God would keep delivering him so that he would have more opportunities to praise God, right? <laughs> now, do you pray that way? I don't have that kind of motivation. I mean, I, I had to think about that this week to go, when I pray, especially in the midst of troubles, I'm often praying for the troubles to be done, right? 
Like, God, just take this from me. You know, take this cup. Like, I just want to be, let's, I, just, I don't want to face this anymore. Let's just have this be done. And, and David is, seems to be praying with an eye to the fact that, God, deliver me again. Like, deliver me here so that, so that I can exalt even more in you and so that I can tell even more of the wonderful deeds that, that you've done in my life, right? Uh, think about it that way. So next time you go through troubles, go, God, how are you going to use this trouble? How are you going to deliver me, God? What's going to happen at the end of this that you're going to deliver me in such a way that I'll be able to testify and tell people of your goodness and, and they're going to know how awesome my God is? Um, I don't know about you, but that's hard, right? That's hard. I, I just don't think that way. And yet David turns and he says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. Why? Again, so that God, so that God will be known. See my affliction from those who hate me. Oh, you who lift me up from the, the gates of death. God, he's seeing that God is the one who lifts him out of the gates of death. I love the theme in the Psalms, in fact, many times where David's actually telling God, God, if you allow these people to kill me, then I'm not going to be able to praise you. It almost feels like this little bargain. He's like, okay, God, I'm, you know, the, my enemies are coming around me and I'm, I'm about to be killed. It's going to be hard for me to sing praises or to write more psalms if I'm dead. Like, literally, that's kind of his reasoning at times with God. And uh, I think that's beautiful. Like, because, because it shows, God, I want to live. I want to live that I might give you praise, right? That my life, uh, and in fact, I want you to deliver me from this point of death that you might get more praise. That I, I may recount all of your praises in verse 14, that in the gates of the daughters of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. This is, this is the, the motivation of his prayer, that he would rejoice in God's salvation, um, that, that, he, that he would be able to exalt. And so he prays for grace in the midst of adversity in order to praise God even more. He, he, again, he again says in verse 15 through 18, he says, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. I love this. He's, he's just, again, praying to God and saying to God, I just have confidence in your judgment. I love this fact. Um, we don't have to be diligent to try to uh, speed along God's judgment because he will take care of it himself. And what are the ways that he takes care of it himself? It says here that the very snares that they set for you, they tend to get caught in them themselves. This is a theme throughout the scriptures. That our enemies, that the wicked eventually end up taking themselves out it eventually unravels. And this is evidence of God's judgment. You and I think, oh, that was cool. That, that just happened. There's justice that just happened over here. And we, Do we think that God is the one who executes all things that are just and right in this world? God is the one who orchestrates these things. There are things that God is doing behind the scenes, things that happen that we can't even, we can't even see or understand. And, and David is just simply acknowledging God will take care of this. He will execute judgment. He will, the wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. You're frustrated by the injustice going on in the world right now? The wicked will implode upon themselves at one, some point. You and I, our job is not to freak out about the wicked or wickedness. Our job is to trust our God, to depend upon him. He has things covered. He will work at the right time, and he will do it through us, right? He will do it through our lives, but he will do it. It's not our job to execute right justice. He says, the wicked return to Sheol and all the nations that forget God. In other words, God's going to take care of them. He will take them down. And then I love this, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. And the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. 
as we kind of come to the close of this psalm, I think it's important for us to realize how many times, especially in the psalms, God talks about the oppressed and the poor and how much he loves and looks out for the oppressed and the poor. If our God is that concerned that it shows up over and over in Scripture, how much should we care about the oppressed and the poor? Right? Big time, right? That's why in the Old Testament, uh, even when they they harvested their crops, they were supposed to leave some of the grain on the ground. They weren't supposed to clean the field up entirely. They were supposed to leave some grain there. Why? For the sojourner, for for the poor, that they would come along and be able to eat and take care of themselves. That was God's way of taking care of their, like even in their harvest, they weren't supposed to be greedy. They were supposed to take care of those who have needs to the poor and the oppressed. And he ends this whole psalm and this whole prayer with, with, with again, a plea for God's justice and even a plea to say, God, you put them in their place. <laughs> you take care of it. That's, that's kind of what he's saying in the last verse of this. Um, so let me bring this to a close and we'll take communion together. Because ultimately, um, give you a couple conclusions. We can be confident in God's just rule. We can be confident. We too can find ourselves again, as I've said already, sleeping well tonight because God's got things covered. He's in charge. That doesn't mean it's passive, by the way, because even the wicked, when they reject God, they're not passive about it, right? And when we trust in God, that's not a passive action. We're not just sitting back going, God, just do stuff, and I'll just kind of hang out at home, and you let me know how it goes. No, no, no. He's doing the stuff through you and I, right? He's calling us to action. And what is that action? He's calling us to live faithfully before our God, to love mercy, to love justice, to walk humbly with our God. He's calling us to bear witness everywhere we go, to be diligent, to see the hand of God at work in and through our lives. Those are active things, not passive things. But all of those things are done in trusting God and with confidence that God's going to work. He's going to make things correct and right. And so, and so we, can, we too can have confidence that God is establishing his righteousness even now. We can be confident that God is working behind the scenes, even in the injustices that you may be facing in your own life. God is at work to vindicate you. He ultimately will do that. And the ultimate vindication is, is Christ, right? It is in Christ that we are ultimately justified and so our job, even as John said it, our ultimate work that we are to do is to believe in Jesus Christ, to trust him, that he will work. He's working right now. He, he's defending us. He's protecting us. He's delivering us. He's sheltering us. And our shelter comes when we trust in Christ. And God works in his perfect time. God's timing is perfect. We know this. One day when God returns, it's going to be in his time. Not yours, not mine. We think we know better sometimes, right? We're like, God, why is this happening? Why are you allowing that? I don't understand. There's things that happen in this world that I, I can't even comprehend some of the evils that go on. So just crazy things, and you just find yourself going, God, why? And I don't understand. This is why the Bible's filled with lament, which is Psalm 10, by the way. Psalm 10 is a lament about the enemies of God. And David just going, God, I don't understand. Lament is a way just to pour out confusion. God, I don't get what you're doing, but I know that you're good. I know that you are just. I know that you're righteous, even though I don't get this. And so I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm going to find my justification in you, ultimately, alone. So this morning, let me ask you, uh, are you sleeping easy? When you read the newspapers, 
Does anybody read newspapers anymore? When you read the news, <laughs> do you find yourself getting worked up constantly? Are you constant in a constant state of angst over the injustice in this world? Or are you in a constant state of prayer and dependence and trust and confidence? God, work. Are you praying for your enemies? Are you praying for the things that are going on in the world? and just trusting God to work, saying, God, put me in a place where you could use my life, where you could bear witness through me of your goodness and your greatness. And then you go to bed at night, and you sleep really well. All of us should get really good sleep tonight because God has got this, right? He's in charge. You can be confident of that. So sleep easy. Let the mind rest tonight. And then get up tomorrow and say, God, okay, here we go. You know, call to action. Let's go at it and then sleep again the next night really well. He's got it, right? And if you have to, shut the news off, right? <laughs> That's maybe a great idea. So. Ultimately, all, what all that means is trust in Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to this earth that you might know him and be in relationship to him, that you might find him a, a, to be a shelter and a defender and a deliverer to be your righteousness and your justification. And so trust in Jesus today. Put your faith in him. And that's what we're going to do right now. We, we're going to come to the communion table in just a moment. And we're going to take the cup. We're going to eat the bread. And we're going to drink the cup together. And it's a reminder to us of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage, like, if you know Jesus Christ, and when I say if you know him, I mean in the sense that David knows him. Do you know him? Like, is, it, do you have a personal intimate relationship with him because you have put your whole life, the weight of your life and your, your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your savior. Is that true of your life? If that's true for you today, then I invite you to come and take communion and celebrate what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, God.